How many of you have ever, ever raised or taken care of uh, young children, say under the age of five? Okay, good. Good, then you'll know what I'm talking about. So uh, take it from a dad uh, with three boys, seven and under. Uh, there is a danger, a real danger, to uh, doing what I call spilling the beans too early. Okay, let me explain. You don't want to say, guys, we're going to the zoo three weeks in advance. (laughs) Okay? It's okay. Your wife may applaud you for planning the zoo trip three weeks in advance. But friend, you do not want to announce it three weeks in advance. And I will tell you why. All right? Because as soon as you announce that zoo trip, that is all they'll be thinking about and all you will hear about for the next three weeks. Okay? You know, and it goes like this. Um, You know, Daddy, what? Is it time to go to the zoo? Two days later. Daddy, what? Did you forget about going to the zoo? No. Or, and this is my personal favorite, you know, kind of eight days into the wait. Daddy, we're never going to the zoo. <laughs> Don't make that mistake. Okay? There are times that I've made that, I've communicated too far in advance, and I've, I found myself wishing that, that there was just some sort of button I could press to make my boys mature adults who know how to compartmentalize their life and leave future events completely in the future. You know, I wish they could just say, well, we'll get to the zoo eventually. And I'm sure that whenever we do, it'll be great. But until then, Dad, you know, we've got school to do. (laughs) We've got chores to do. Life goes on, Dad. So join us, Dad, in focusing on the present. I mean, we laugh about that. But do you know that when it comes to being a Christian, that is terrible counsel. That's terrible counsel. I'll tell you why. Because to be a Christian is to live in the present in light of the future. Okay? 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, preparing your minds for action, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Luke 12.33 Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. That's pretty future-oriented. 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge future the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom in the present, preach the word. There, there are hundreds of scriptures like that. All throughout the Bible, friends, that that call us, that challenge us to live in the present in light of the future. It's a decent definition of what it means to be a Christian in many ways. God calls us to live a certain kind of life right now 
with a confidence that a certain kind of event is going to take place one day. There's a connection. And the book of Daniel is no exception to that. Particularly chapter 12. Particularly chapter 12. So, just to review, for the last six months, we've been in a a sermon series from the book of Daniel. I can't believe this is the last Sunday. Called Dominion. That was the title of the series. And and that title, Dominion, was taken from Daniel 7, verse 14, which says, Daniel speaking of Christ, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed. That's a decent one verse take on the book of Daniel, okay? And, and I summarize it this way. The eternal universal dominion of Jesus Christ is the governing reality in the book of Daniel. You want, you want one governing reality for the entire book of Daniel, it's this. The eternal, universal dominion of Jesus Christ. That's the big idea in Daniel. But it's also a book written to exiles who are experiencing, at least from their vantage point, anything but that. You know, the the original recipients of this book were, were walking through significant persecution and suffering, that the evil in their world screamed, there's no way God's in charge around here. And yet, chapter after chapter, Daniel persistently and patiently, he shows them, he showed us that God is very much in charge, and that in fact, all of human history is, is moving inexorably toward the consummation of God's purposes. We've seen that over and over and over again. But why does Daniel do that? Think about that. Why, why does he keep going on and on and on about the future when he knows full well that the people listening to him are suffering in the present? I mean, I imagine reading this book for the first time, original recipient, there. You know, you could have felt this disconnect, like, okay, Daniel, your visions are crazy. Good for you, but but dude, I'm, I'm right here. I'm a mess. I'm an exile. Well, the, the reason Daniel does that is because he falls right in line with the entire rest of the Bible in urging us to live in the present, including our present suffering, in light of what God says about the future. So if Daniel 1 opens with the problem, what's the problem? Guess what, folks? We're in exile, and it's not looking good for the home team, (laughs) okay? Then Daniel 12 ends with the solution. An end to exile is coming, and it's called the new heavens and the new earth. So look at Daniel 12, verse 3. What does the angel tell him? Daniel The day is coming when those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We need to make sure we're aware of the context here. Okay, so quick review. Daniel Daniel 11 
was this massively long 45 verse catalog of all the trouble that was going to go down for the people of God under the rule of the Greek empire. And toward the end, those chapter 11 visions, they seem to transition from from speaking strictly about the the evil that Israel would experience under Antiochus IV in the second century BC to more of what the New Testament warns will happen under the persecution of the Antichrist at the end of history. So so chapter 11 starts in the the second century, but but it quickly zooms out to see the end of history in many ways. And just in case the persecution in chapter 11 that God promised wasn't terrifying enough, look at chapter 12, verse 1. Daniel's told that his people should expect a further time of trouble. Notice how it's described. Such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. Daniel, you thought chapter 11 was bad? Well, buckle your seatbelt. I mean, if I'm already suffering, that's not what I want to hear. That's not near the top of the list of wise words said to suffering people. Oh, you you thought this was hard. No, I'm not not looking for that if I'm Daniel. But, But there's a parallel here between these words in Daniel 12, this description of trouble, and Jesus' words in Matthew 24, where he warns of what the Bible calls the great tribulation. Okay, which is this period of intense persecution and suffering that God tells his people to expect at the end of history. Okay, but here's what I want you to notice about this trouble in Daniel 12. Okay, notice what God promises immediately on the heels of great tribulation. There shall be a time of trouble, verse 1, but at that time your people shall be delivered. Okay, I'll read it again. There shall be a time of trouble, but at that time, your people shall be delivered. What's the point? Very simple. The hour of your trouble is the hour of God's salvation. That's the point, okay? The hour of your trouble is the hour of God's salvation. God God doesn't spare us from trouble. He delivers us in the midst of our trouble. Don't expect him to spare you from trouble. You can always trust him to deliver you in the midst of your trouble. But in this case, in Daniel 12, this deliverance isn't temporary. It's eternal. Okay? It's the ultimate end to spiritual exile. So look at verse 2. Verse 2. And many of those who sleep And the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Think about that. Friends, the reason being a Christian means living in the present in light of the future is that the gospel of Jesus Christ locates our hope squarely in the resurrection to come. Okay? That the reason being a Christian means living in the present in light of the future is because the gospel of Jesus Christ takes the eyes of our heart and locates it, orients it, grounds, anchors our hope 
in the future resurrection to come. That's what, that's what God does through the gospel. So, so you have an end to physical exile that God promised. And, and quite frankly, two years before Daniel received this particular vision, God was already fulfilling. So King Cyrus sent some of Daniel's friends back home to Israel. He'd already seen that, that fulfillment of that promise. There's going to be an end to physical exile in part. But, but he had yet to see an end to the spiritual exile. Remember I said a few weeks ago, it's one thing to get the people out of Babylon. It's another thing to get Babylon out of the people. Two exiles going down here. All right? And the spiritual deliverance, the end of spiritual exile Daniel learns in chapter 12, isn't going to come to pass in full until the end of the age when the dead are raised and we all appear before the judgment seat of God. And I think it's safe to say, friends, that we don't, I don't think this is an exaggeration, we don't spend enough time thinking about the resurrection. We don't. I don't think I do. And the reason I say that is that this life is not all there is. I mean, it feels like it all, it's all there is. It's all we've ever known firsthand. But it's not all there is. Because whether you call yourself a Christian or not, there's, there's a day coming when, when your body will sleep, as it were. It'll, it'll return to to the dust from which it came. And it will remain in the dust until the day the Lord Jesus returns. And when the Lord Jesus returns, whether you are a Christian or not, your body will be raised. You will be reunited with your body. And on that day, one of two things will happen. Either you're going to be welcomed into everlasting life with God or you're going to be condemned to everlasting torment in hell. And if you think, listening to me, how dare God do that? Then friend, I warn you, you understand neither the holiness of your God or the sinfulness in your heart. There's only one thing, one thing that will separate those who are welcomed from those who are rejected. Look back at verse one. One thing. Is your name written in the book of life? That's the question. Okay? One of two things will happen on the day your body is raised. Everlasting life or everlasting torment. And there is one question that will determine which way do you go. And that's this. Is your name written in the book of life? The the only way you can know that in advance is not, please hear this, not to be a good person, to clean up your act, to come to church on Sundays. The, The only way you will know this day, that on that day, your name is written in the book of life is if today and tomorrow and every day for the rest of your life, you exchange clinging to sin for clinging to Christ. You do that every day of your life. And on that day, friend, you will learn to your great delight. 
that your name was written in that book before you were born. But you don't know that by guessing. You know that by clinging to faith in Christ. That's how you know that. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose from the grave for you. So, so I have to ask you, as the Lord's been asking already this morning, what, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Bring, bring your wickedness. Okay, bring your brokenness, bring, bring your sickness, bring, bring the mess that is your life, whether the people around you realize that or not, and cry out to Jesus to restore your soul. The choice is yours. Eternal life or eternal death, and once you die, it will be too late. So don't, don't wait, friend. Don't, don't quiet your troubled conscience by promising yourself that one day you'll figure out that whole like spiritual side of things. Okay? You, you might die today. I'm serious. And whether or not you've made a profession of faith like the ones we saw this morning, that's going to make the difference for your eternal destiny. I mean, this, this life, think of it this way, it's just a preparation. It feels like it's all there is. But, but as one pastor so well said, this, this life is like a little dot. Eternity, that's the line. That's what's real. Jesus makes a promise to all who come to Christ in John 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Come to Christ, friend. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Never cast out, okay? So, if this day you have come to faith in Christ, or if this day you have continued to cling to faith in Christ, then know this, redemption's coming. Redemption's coming, okay? And an end to all your suffering and all your persecution and all your oppression is coming. Not in this life, though we taste it in part, right? We, we know the joy of forgiveness. We, we taste the freedom of deliverance, but the battle's not over. On that day, when the Lord returns and the dead are raised, the battle's gonna be over. The battle's gonna be over. And, and we will enter into, as the people of God, a radiant, enduring glory that never ends. Shining like the brightness of the sky and the stars forever and ever. L- listen to how the Apostle Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians 15. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then what shall come to pass? The saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death. We sang this earlier, right? Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? That's your hope, Christian. Redemption's coming. 
It's common. But, but then notice, notice what the Apostle Paul says next. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be, in the present, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, because of that day, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I mean, that's, that's the same thing Daniel's saying in verse 3. Those who are wise, when? Right now, will, future, shine like the brightness of the sky above. Okay? Think of it this way. There's a kind of life that leans hard on the reality of the resurrection. And there is another kind of life that functionally denies the reality of the resurrection. Two kinds of life. One leans hard on the reality of the resurrection. The other kind functionally denies the reality of the resurrection. I'm going to summarize that this way, which I find a little easier to remember. Wisdom, folly. (laughs) Okay? What is biblical wisdom? It's a life that leans hard on the reality of the resurrection. What is folly? It's a life that functionally denies the reality of the resurrection, or if it gives a token acknowledgement, it's, you know, pretty much so far out there as to be largely irrelevant. That's folly, okay? Choosing wisdom, as Daniel warns us in verse 3, means living this day in light of that day. That's what wisdom does. That's what wisdom looks like. And, and if you want to know if you're genuinely wise, if you want to know, am I genuinely wise? Well, look at verse four, okay? Here's the question you have to answer. Verse four, am I turning many to righteousness? Notice the parallel. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above. Who are the wise? Those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Okay, so I ask you, friend, very simply, is, is the example of your life, the words you speak, the actions you take, are they influencing the people around you to submit to Jesus' authority? Or are they influencing the people around you to join you in doing your own thing? That's the difference. You don't get to decide, you know what? I woke up today and I feel wise. I'm wise. Hello, I got the t-shirt. Wisdom, check it out. You don't get to do that. The word of God tells you whether or not you're wise by evaluating your life and asking the question, is the result of your words and deeds, the way you spend your money, the way you love your wife, the way you parent your kids, the way you do relationships, all of that, is that turning many to righteousness? You know what Jesus calls that in Matthew 28? Making disciples. (laughs) It's making disciples. That's the question. That's how you know if you're wise. You need to evaluate the impact of your life on all the people around you. You need to ask, are they, are they following hard after Jesus, living for that day, leaning hard on the resurrection because of my influence or in spite of my influence? Be honest, be honest, okay? Th- those who are wise, they live in the present in light of the future, okay? They don't, they don't run, they don't run to and fro as he says in verse four, running to and fro, looking to the world for wisdom, taking their cues from other people. They, the wise, they hold fast to the word of God, a word that's secure, sealed, fixed until the time of the end. Okay, a wise man or woman makes what God has spoken in his word the final authority in every area of life. 
That's, that's what life looks like when you're leaning hard on the reality of the resurrection. And in this regard, I, I want to challenge two specific groups of people. As I was thinking about this, praying about this, two groups of people were on my heart. Um, the first one I've already prayed for this morning, and that would be teenagers. Okay? So if you're a teenager, I just want to talk to you for a minute. I think many of you feel invincible. You know, you feel like you have your whole life in front of you. It's, what's my life? Well, it's all beginning. It's no end. And, and I want to remind you, especially when, when everything in this life, let's be honest, just looks so attractive. I want to remind you that you are living in what C.S. Lewis calls the Shadowlands. You're living in the Shadowlands. The real glory is in the life to come. You're, you're living in the Shadowlands. The, the real glory, it's in the life to come. And on that day, please hear this, you're not going to care if people like you. <laughs> you're not. You're not, you're not going to care if your friends thought you were funny or smart or attractive or the life of the party. The only thing you're going to care about on that day when you die is this. Is it well with my soul? That's it. Okay? Get started now, teenager. Leaning hard on the resurrection. Don't, don't spend your life chasing after things that on that day are just not going to matter one lick. That's foolishness. Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. Here's the second group. Second group, those of you who are older, you knew this was coming, <laughs> and have been following Christ for a long time. And, and as I was praying f- about you, uh, this word came to mind, you are tired, tired. And the longer you live, the more suffering you endure. And the more suffering you endure, the more you start find yourself wondering, is, is this suffering, is it ever going to end? Hear the word of the Lord to you in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. Okay? Sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For in this hope we were saved. Now, now hope that is seen is not hope. Duh. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The word of the Lord to you, if you are older and growing weary and following Christ, be patient. Be patient, okay? Daniel 12 is an exhortation to those who know Christ to locate their hope, not in a particular experience of deliverance in this day, but in a guaranteed fullness of deliverance on that day. 
That's what this chapter pushes us to do, okay? So, so we praise God for the deliverance we experience now. We taste the goodness of his salvation. But sometimes we never experience the deliverance we long for in this life. Many times we never do. You know, and so we cry out with, with the angel in verse 6. How long is it going to be? <laughs> right? How long is it going to be? That's the screaming question of the book of Daniel in many ways. How long, O oh Lord? And so what I love about the way this book ends, and, and we'll conclude by briefly working through this, the, the angel's answer to that question in verse 7, how long shall it be, is really helpful. Because I think that it gives us a call, a challenge to embrace three different attitudes in our exile, okay? So, so to whatever degree you find yourself saying, how long, O oh Lord, I'm trying to live in the present in light of the future, but how long do I have to do this? I just want the future. God equips us, verses nine to 13, with three attitudes, okay? And I want this to be the last thing I share with you from the book of Daniel, all right? So listen very carefully. Attitude number one, faithfulness in exile means that we embrace trust in the midst of sorrow. Okay? Trust in the midst of sorrow. Look at verse 7. He raised the angel, he raised his right hand, his left hand toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, oh my goodness, all these things would be finished. What does that tell you? Well, that tells you in uncertain terms that Life in exile is going to be hard. Okay, we've seen that over and over again in the book of Daniel, all right? But here's the second thing it tells you. Even in the most painful moments when it feels like all your strength is being shattered. And that's such a good word. You know, you feel that sometimes. I'm just, I'm being shattered. Know then that our loving and wise father is completely in control. And he's ensuring that your suffering and your sorrow do not endure a single day longer than he says they need to. Not a single day, okay? Look, look at that phrase, a time, times, and half a time, all right? That's three and a half years. Time, one, times, two, half time, half, okay? Three and a half years. As half of seven, the number of completion, what's that? It's a number cut short, Okay, it's a regulated time, a a limited time. That's a symbolic reminder that the end is coming sooner than we think. Okay, it's known by God, it's limited by God, it's regulated by God, and it's guaranteed by God. Redemption's coming, all right? As surely as God is eternal, an end to your suffering is coming. That's the connection. Why, Why does the angel swear By him who lives forever and ever. Because he's saying, Daniel, listen. As surely as God is eternal, you can know that redemption's coming. All right? It's as sure as the eternal character of the living God. And he's predetermined it down to the very day. Okay? Don't get hung up on 1,290 days. All right? What's that? Roughly three and a half years in verse 11. Which says what? Okay? It's not just time, times, and half a time. I'm seeing the future that I planned and it's getting, I mean, I see some, but it's a little fuzzy. No, it's down to the day. Okay, that, that's a symbolic number, but it speaks that, that God isn't experimenting with your life. 
You're not a test case for his providence. He's not toying with your suffering. I I love the words of William Cowper here, the hymnist. Oh, fearful saints, new courage take. The clouds that you now dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. So judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Okay? Attitude number one, embrace trust in the midst of sorrow. All right, here's the second, okay? Embrace trust in the midst of sorrow. Here's the second. Embrace holiness in the midst of wickedness. Okay, trust in the midst of sorrow, holiness in the midst of wickedness. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. It's very interesting that Daniel is told that after he asked this question. What's the outcome of all this, angel? I don't understand. I mean, that's kind of comforting. You know, that Daniel, he got the vision. Godly man, I don't understand. Well, thanks, Daniel, because I don't understand a lot in here either. But, but when Daniel came face to face with what he could not see or understand about the future, what did God say? Well, sit on your butt, pal, and watch me do my God thing. No, what did he do? He said, Daniel, I want you to get busy being holy. Okay? You're not a spectator in the story of redemption. Pal, you've got work to do. And it's both active and passive. What's the active part? Look back at verse 10. Purify yourself. Make yourself white. What's the passive part? Allow God to refine you. Be refined. Okay? It's both active and passive. Active and passive. You know, I, I think it's fair to say that there are times we experience wickedness in the form of direct oppression and persecution from people who hate God and as a result hate the people of God. But friends, there's another kind of wickedness that I think we more often experience in the form of a, a subtle but oh so real influence to look for life in anyone and anything but God. Okay, that's, that's the wickedness around us. The, the wickedness that says you don't, you don't need God to be eternally happy, right? Go shopping. Shore pump's great. <laughs> you know, play video games. Find a boyfriend. Do, do a little traveling. If, if going to church now and then is helpful for you, go for it. But, you know, if it's not your thing, no worries. There's, there's plenty of options in Vanity Fair. That's the kind of wickedness that surrounds us. And that's deadly for spiritual exiles. That's deadly, okay? Listen, please hear this. Our first and most important response to the wicked acting wickedly is not to circle the wagons and commiserate about how bad things are out there. Don't do that. Okay, our first and most important response to wickedness is to redouble our efforts to pursue holiness in the fear of the Lord. That's how we respond, okay? Don't start a blog, read your Bible and obey it. All right? There's a difference. Believing in the sovereign control of God, leaning hard on the resurrection, should make you busy in the work of becoming holy. 
as Jesus is holy. Purify yourself and allow God to use your suffering to purify you. Okay, Paul says it, Philippians 2, work out your salvation. Why? For it is God who works in you. Active and passive. Okay? All right. We embrace trust in the midst of sorrow, holiness in the midst of wickedness. Lastly, we'll end with this. We choose patience in the face of mystery. Okay, you want three lessons from the book of Daniel. Where do we go with this, Williams? We're ending our dominion series, okay? You embrace trust in the midst of sorrow. You fight for holiness in the midst of wickedness. And you choose patience in the face of mystery. It's very interesting, very interesting, that in verse 12, the angel says this. It kind of seems confusing, honestly. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. You know, when I first read that, I thought, oh, great. One more thing that's like, say, what? That I have to figure out. But, but this is actually really simple, okay? Really simple. That's roughly, still, three and a half years. Time, times, and half a time. It's also 45 days longer than the length of time that the angel said that our suffering and oppression would last. What's up with that? Well, I think this is the key. The call to persevere for 1,335 days is a call to endure in following Jesus past the point where his return seems long overdue from a human perspective. Does that make sense? Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. In other words, we should expect that there's going to be a time when we say to the people of God, Lord, if you were in fact ever going to come back, I'm starting to think you would have done it by now. To which God says, I know, I'm not delayed. You need to persevere. And you need to persevere a little longer past the point where you in your human wisdom think I'm overdue. Patience in the face of mystery. Blessed is he who waits. He who waits. We need to be humble, friends, and recognize that God has reasons for the wait that far exceed our comprehension or human understanding. Okay? To live in the present in light of the future. It's to embrace three things. Trust in the midst of sorrow, holiness in the midst of wickedness, patience in the face of mystery. Why should you do all of that? Because of something we saw earlier in Daniel again and again. In the end, Jesus wins. Remember that? And if you're found in Christ, then you win too. That's redemption's coming. It's just different ways of saying the same thing. So I challenge you, church, join me in leaning hard on the resurrection. Knowing, in verse 13, that God makes a twofold promise to you. He's preparing rest for your soul. And he's preparing a place for you. Some of you are really, really tired of being in exile. And unless something drastic changes, you're going to be suffering till the day you die. If that's you, 
know this. The rest, I'm just talking physical rest, the, the rest of soul, the emotional rest, the mental rest, the rest that you long for right now, God's getting it ready for you. Rest is coming to to all who, like me, can grow so weary of fighting, fighting in a fallen world. Daniel ends with this beautiful promise that rest is coming. Rest is coming, and King Jesus is preparing a place for you. That's incredible. That's incredible. So church, let's learn from Daniel to live in the present in light of the future. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this word. Preaching through this book has been a joy. We've scratched the surface. I pray now as we sing this song, Lord, I ask that you would fix our hope where the gospel locates it, on the resurrection at the end of the age. For all who are weary, I pray for new strength to do that right now. In Jesus' name, amen.